Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's start with Strange Things with Joshua P. Warren. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are thoughts and opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks or their sponsors and associates. You are encouraged to do the proper amount of research yourself, depending on the subject matter and your needs. Joshua P. Warren, and each week on this show, I'll be bringing you brand new, mind-blowing content, news, exercises, and weird experiments you can do at home, and a lot more on this edition of the show, D.B. Cooper and Horror Movie Tales. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on D.B. Cooper, because a lot of people have, years and years and years, and I'm not one of them, but... I do have some new thoughts on this, and I figure, what the heck, I'll let you know about it. If you don't know who D.B. Cooper is, I'll explain in a minute. Um, he hijacked a plane back in 1971, and to this day, nobody knows who he was. He got away with it, and it, the story may or may not be paranormal. Some people think there's a supernatural element. It's certainly a great mystery because it is the only significant unsolved hijacking ever and uh it's strange by it's, it's definitely one of the strange things that has happened to, in our country here in the US of A so yeah I, you know i i uh, occasionally i will develop tv shows i don't do much of that anymore because i found that the tv business is very very time consuming it reminds me of that elvis song a little less conversation, a little more action. You have to have tons of phone calls and teleconferences and Zoom things. And, I, and you don't know if it's going to go anywhere. Not very time consuming. But occasionally I will pitch an idea to a network and it gets it gets picked up. And so years ago, I met Jeff Mudgett, who um, believes that one of his ancestors, one of his great grandfathers was the. Uh, American serial killer H.H. H. Holmes, and he believes that H.H. H. Holmes actually went to England and committed the Jack the Ripper murders. And he's got this whole big theory about it. He, he wrote a book about it, Bloodstains. 
Really interesting. I met him at a conference in New York and uh, I said, let me try pitching this as a show. And, and so I did. I pitched it to the History Channel and it got picked up and it got turned into a series called American Ripper. And so I'm always interested in uh, watching History Channel documentaries where they, they go back and they try to solve mysteries. And years ago, they did uh, a documentary where they were trying to figure out who D.B. Cooper was. And of course, they didn't, but they did raise some interesting points. And now Netflix has just come out with this new documentary. It's a series that I watched uh, recently. It's called D.B. Cooper. Where are you? And uh, they're going back and they are they're kind of picking up where the History Channel thing left off and, and looking at other clues. And they brought up some, some things that I'd never heard about before. OK, so if this is new to you, OK, in a nutshell, uh, the day before Thanksgiving, on November 24th of 1971, this tall, clean-cut, dark-haired man wearing sunglasses and a black business suit uh, carried a briefcase onto an aircraft, uh, an airplane. Let's see here. This was a... Uh, Okay, the, air, the aircraft was flying from Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington, a relatively short, uh, a short flight there. And you, you have to understand, especially if you're one of the younger folks who listens to this show, back in those days, there was virtually no security. Okay, you could just waltz onto an airplane. And you still can do that, really, if you have it like a private chartered plane. But... You know, my wife, Lauren, and I, we've talked about the fact that going through security can be such a pain. Maybe there ought to be just a, a fly at your own risk airlines, right? Where you say, I, I'm just going to go for it. I feel lucky today. Obviously, you want to make sure the airplane's not flying over any populated areas because, you know, if it goes down, well, the people on the ground don't have any any control over that. But back in those days, it was it was that's how it was. Fly at your own risk. So this polite, uh, sort of unassuming man who kind of looked like every other businessman of, of the day, he walks onto this airplane, he sits down, they take off, uh, he starts smoking some cigarettes, he orders a whiskey, and then he calls a flight attendant over and he passes her a note and he says, I have a bomb in this briefcase. And from there, of course, they they kept the passengers in the dark about what was happening, but he started giving um, demands to the staff. And essentially what he wanted was uh, he said he wanted the plane to land. And I can't remember exactly where it landed, but he said he when he when the plane landed, he would let the passengers off. But he wanted in return two hundred thousand dollars, which in today's money is worth over a million dollars. And he wanted, I think, like three or four uh, parachutes. So obviously everybody was like, seriously, this guy is going to try to parachute out of this plane. But they said in this documentary, it's a stroke of genius that he asked for uh, three or four parachutes, because if he had just asked for one, then they would say, well, he's going to use this. So they may have tampered with it. But they thought, well, uh, maybe he's going to take some hostages when this crazy guy jumps out of this plane. So uh, they didn't tamper with those parachutes. So anyway, sure enough, the plane lands. Uh, they deliver him the $200,000 and the parachutes, and he lets everybody off the plane, just like he said he would, except for um, the crew. And then they take off again. 
And he, he said that he wanted to be flown to Mexico City. Now it's a very, very dark and stormy November night. Okay. Very harsh conditions. And he was somewhere over the Pacific Northwest on this just terrifying night with lightning flashing everywhere. And, um, he goes to the back and, uh, the crew hears something going on. And then sure enough, this guy in his, in his suit, in his business suit, uh, has, has opened some door and jumped off of this plane with that money into the, the thick woodland of the Pacific Northwest, uh, never to be seen or heard from again. And uh, for a long time, they thought he might have actually been in Nevada, like around Reno or something. And some people thought he was maybe going to try to make it to Vegas. But anyway, nobody knows where he landed exactly. Um, you know, we're talking about this has been over 50 years ago. People said they thought he was in his mid 40s. So if this guy's still alive, he's pushing, you know, he's getting close to 100. Um, nobody knows if he lived or, or, or died. Uh, they never found the uh, confirmed evidence of a parachute. They did find some of his money at some point on a, on a like a little ri- uh, river bank or something. But anyway, so nobody knows what happened to this guy. So it's become the stuff of legends, right? So here's what I found interesting about this new documentary and why I wanted to bring this up to you, because it is it's one of those mysteries that I've just never talked about before, because People are very serious when they start investigating this. And I, I, all I know is what I've seen on TV or heard in, on the radio or, or read about in articles. Like I am not a DB Cooper expert guy. So please don't hold my opinion against me. And, but here's what they pointed out. Okay. I, for one thing, I do think it is amazing that, that a guy like that, um, uh, got away with it. Even if he died, he still kind of got away with it because we, we never found his body. We don't know who he was, but if he did survive, it's even more astounding. I mean, people just don't get away with stuff like that. Eventually we find out, you know, somebody brags in a bar or somebody says, you know what? This looks like my brother or, or my dad or my son or like people talk. And so I always thought, that was just amazing to me that all the investigative techniques never determined who he was. And one of the points they made in this documentary was that, well, he may not have been an American. If he were not an American, then it would have been much, much more difficult to figure out who he was if he made it out of our country. That makes sense to me. On the contrary, they there are people in this documentary saying that they thought he might be a Canadian I was like, okay, well, that could be, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with that part of the country up near Canada. And they said, and listen to this. They said that when he asked for his $200,000, he said he wanted negotiable American currency. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? I was born and raised in the U.S. of A. And my family has been here for many generations. And I don't think that if I were going to demand money, I would be that specific. I think I would just be like, I want $200,000 there in my duffel bag and unmarked bills and no funny stuff, pal. You know, I'd be, I don't think I'll be like, I would like some negotiable American currency. I mean, that, that makes me think, okay, yeah, that sounds like something. And, uh, okay. Here's the next thing. Now, now this one right here, this might be the, the real clincher though. 
I we're already up on a break. When we come back, I think after you hear what I'm about to tell you, you might agree like, yeah, this guy, whoever he was, he was probably a Canadian. And and if he died, fine. But if he made it across the border, he may have been able to disappear. But there's one other big reason that it seems like he might be a Canadian. Then I know this is all really weird, but I'm going to tie this into some horror movie stories. <laughs> you know how my mind works. Hey, listen, I have got new kits that are going to be coming out over the next weeks and a couple of months. I'm probably not going to be able to talk about them on this show. I don't have the time to get into it. So if you want to know when they are out and what they are, they're metaphysical inventions, brand new stuff you can only get from me. You got to go to joshuapwarren.com and sign up for my free e-newsletter. Takes you two seconds. You put your email address in there. You hit the submit button and you'll instantly get some links to some free digital good luck gifts from me. JoshuaPWarren.com. There's no period after the P. Trust me, when the show ends for you, it still goes on behind the scenes. And that's how you can participate. I am Joshua P. Warren, and you're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And I will be right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash strange things today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash strange things. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle. And I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, 
A Story of California Corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, the Wizard of Weird, Joshua P. Warren, beaming into your wormhole brain from my studio in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada, where every day is golden and every night is silver. You know, a lot of people kind of view D.B. Cooper as some kind of a cult hero, because he, well, he was obviously smart. He was obviously talented. And he, he went into this situation, kept his cool. Uh, he, he pulled it off. He got the money. He stuck it to the man and nobody died. I, however, completely disagree with that because I think that it's only a miracle by the grace of God that nobody died. Uh, everything that he did jeopardized the lives of every single person on that airplane, not to mention anybody underneath that airplane. So uh, I feel like that uh, it was he was he's a terrible criminal. And I mean, yeah, he obviously had some skills, but he should not be viewed heroically. You know, being a criminal of that nature is not heroic. Um, I, I understand there are times when laws have to be broken. That's what the founders of this country did when they were breaking the British rule. I get that. But hijacking an airplane, that's not that's not cool ever. OK, but anyway. All right. Why did he get away with this? How is this possible after 50 more than 50 years? Well, um, OK, if he was from another country, that would help. But listen to this. The fact that he may have been a Canadian was reinforced by the fact that when he actually gave his name at the ticket counter, and they said that back in those days, like I, I wasn't even born in 1971. Okay. But if you, if you wanted a ticket, you could just walk into the airport and you could just buy a ticket, you know, just like you're buying a bus ticket. And he, he did not actually give the name DB Cooper. He gave the name Dan Cooper. 
D-A-N, Dan Cooper. At some point, there was a mistranslation in media stories, and it got turned into D.B. Cooper, which has stuck. But he said his name was Dan Cooper. Well, it turns out, and I had never heard this before, that there was a very popular, uh, I mean, popular yet obscure in America, uh, comic book hero in Canada called Dan Cooper. And uh, just to get this straight here, okay, I'm reading this. Uh, the, the Cooper research team led by Tom K., uh, working in cooperation with the Seattle-based FBI agent Larry Carr, speculate the hijacker may have chosen an alias based on the fictional character Dan Cooper. Uh, they suggest the hijacker may have been exposed to the comics while on a tour of duty in Europe or that he may have been of French-Canadian origin. Some of the comics storylines seemingly match aspects of the D.B. Cooper case, including jumping out of a plane with a parachute as well as a ransom being delivered in a knapsack. Whoa. Um. So, yeah, it's, look it up. Dan Cooper. Fictional Canadian military flying ace and a rocket ship pilot. Says it was conceived in 1954. Been around a while. And uh, he is a test pilot in the Royal Canadian Air Force. This fictional character. Okay. And um, so, look. Well, I think one of the guys in the documentary said this would be sort of like somebody walking in and saying, my name is Tony Hawk and then committing a, a robbery and escaping on a skateboard. And you're like, OK, that's a bit much for coincidence. So I now I think that, yeah, that I'm sort of convinced this is the most likely uh theory or call it a hypothesis, whatever you this is this is one of the most likely probabilities that i've heard about that this guy was a canadian who did this and we should start you know looking there so when, when i was watching this documentary they were interviewing uh or they, or they showed interviews you know archival footage with the clark county sheriff now clark county is where las vegas is is located it's a big big county but like i like i say they were they were thinking for a while that he may have actually ended up in Nevada and he was working his way to Vegas. And who knows? Maybe he did. And, you know, I'm out there now. I own this this land near Area 51 and I'm exploring all these mysteries. And on my last podcast, I was talking about, you know, going out there to, to the desert and sitting around having a whiskey just like old D.B. Cooper around the campfire kind of setting, you know, and talking about how weird it is out here, how there's just mysteries upon mysteries upon mysteries start layering here. And as we were sitting around, I said, you know what? I did a, a podcast a while back about synchronicity and everybody seems to like that topic. And I said, I, I remember a story that I don't think I've ever told before. You know, they're talking about making a, a DB Cooper movie. And uh, so anyway, I was talking about like some of my experiences working on movies and TV shows. I said, here is I don't know if anybody else is going to think this is as amazing as I do, but let me just toss it out there and you tell me. OK, 
So like, oh, over 10 years ago, I can't remember. Uh, let's see. I think it was 2010, something like that. I was, yeah, probably around 2010. Like, so like 12, 13 years ago, somewhere around, I got contacted by Warner Brothers. And they told me that they were going to be uh, making this horror movie called The Apparition. And the horror movie was about uh, a group of college kids to get together and try to create a ghost. And it was kind of based on the Philip experiment. And the idea was that they all came together and created a tulpa. But, uh-oh, once you create the tulpa, guess what? He's not a very nice guy. And so he starts trying to kill everybody, right? All right, makes sense for a horror movie. And they got some of the the best young rising stars at that time to be in the movie. Uh, they got Ashley Green. And Ashley Green was in the Twilight series. Now, if you never watched Twilight, you might not even know who she is, though, because she's kind of an obscure actress, in my opinion. Okay. But if you watch Twilight, you know who she is. And then it had Sebastian Stan in it, and he went on to gain fame in the Marvel stuff like uh, Captain America. And then it had Tom Felton in it. He, he was the, he was a little, Malfoy, the bad guy kid in Harry Potter. So, I mean, there were some, you know, serious names in there. And they hired me to be the ghost consultant because they wanted their experiments and stuff to look realistic. And I had a laboratory. So I put a team together. And not only did we actually sort of recreate some of the experiments that they did in the movie, which you can watch if you are able to find a Blu-ray copy of The Apparition that has um all the extras and stuff like that but uh they were so impressed warner brothers was they said hey josh we want to send you out here uh to the set okay and and we want to interview you on the set of the movie well, i said that's that's fantastic what a cool thing so they flew me out to la they put me up in the haunted roosevelt hotel there in hollywood they drove me out to the set and i got to meet all these people i met you know ashley green and all the actors and stuff and um which that i'm going to get back to that in a minute because i don't want to get too far off track here because there are a lot of little connections so the movie came out the apparition and um it was it was a big flop Okay. It was a big flop. I mean, there's no two ways about it. It just, it didn't do well at the box office and I did my job well, but I'm just like, you know, the nonfiction consultant guy. Uh, but for whatever reason, it didn't, it was not a success. And most people have probably never even heard of the apparition. And like I say, most people probably have never even heard of Ashley Green or, or a lot of those characters, those actors, right? All right. So. Last year, okay, so we're, we're talking about, um, again, this is like 12, 13 years ago I worked on this movie. Last year, uh, I was here in Vegas with my wife, Lauren, and my good buddy, filmmaker C. Eric Scott, and we were running around doing some bar hopping downtown, and there are a lot of really weird bars around Fremont Street, and it was a packed night, probably like a Saturday night, and... Um, I, at some point, uh, we started talking about projects we'd worked on, and I brought up Ashley Green out of the blue. And I think I said something like, uh, at one point, um, I probably, <laughs> they threw away some of her like wardrobe or something in the garbage can. And I felt like, Hey, I bet if I'd 
fish that out of the garbage can. I could put that on eBay. Ha ha ha. You know, because she's got some fans out there, right? So anyway, I bring up Ashley Green. I haven't brought up Ashley Green in years. And uh, so anyway, here we are. We're moving from bar to bar. We went to this bar called the Griffin. And they have these vending machines, the likes of which I've never seen anywhere else. And you can buy mystery boxes. There's like a $5 mystery box, a $10 mystery box, $20 mystery box. And it's kind of a fun thing to do after you've had a few drinks in Las Vegas is to say, what is the surprise going to be here? So I go up to the machine. I can't remember. I think it was like the $10 mystery box that I bought. It falls. Take it to the bar. I sit down next to Lauren and Eric, and I say, let's see what's in the mystery box. When we come back, I will tell you what was in the mystery box, and then some other just weird, like, synchronicities I've had when I really think about it, when it comes to run-ins with people who have been in horror movies. I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I will be back after these important messages. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always gonna have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. 
Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Strange things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joshua P. Warren, and this is the show where the unusual becomes usual. Late night, bar, Las Vegas, I open the mystery box. First thing I pulled out was one of those little uh, fortune-telling fish. <laughs> you know, there's little, it's like a little piece of thin red plastic that curls up in your hand. And I think it's just the, uh, I think it's just the humidity coming off your hand that does that. I think that's what they figured out. So anyway, but those are cool. And then there was like, uh, some Skittles in there. And then, you know, maybe like a whistle or so I'm going through all this little stuff that they've put in this box and there is one trading card in there and I pull it out and guess what it's an Ashley Green trading card I don't even remember what kind of a card it was like I don't even know whether it would be a trading card with an actress on it or so but here is I mean like my, my not only did my jaw hit the bar but also Eric's and Lauren's because it was just so random that I just been talking about her for the first time in ages. And then I get this mystery box and I, I pull that out. Now, what does that mean? As Pee Wee Herman said, I don't know. But there was a lot of synchronicity that was surrounding that movie. For example. Okay. So when I went there to be a part of the production where I was on the actual set. And, and by the way, Ashley Green was so sweet and all the actors were really nice and I wish them nothing but great success. And I wish that movie had done better for all, for everybody involved, but you know, they're all great people and they'll all be rich and famous for the rest of their lives, I'm sure. But, um, when I was on the set, this was a Warner Brothers set. So there were a lot of people. I don't even know. You know, it's certainly over a hundred people. It's kind of a funny story, by the way. Um, I was standing there one uh, at one point, and there was um, some lady. I don't know who she was. And she came up to the assistant director, and she says, she looks over, and there's a rock in front of this house, like in the lawn. And she said, is that a real rock, or is that a prop rock? And he goes, hmm. I don't know. And she goes, well, because I don't want to touch it, you know, if it's a prop rock. But if it's a real rock, I'd like to get it out of the way. And he says, 
Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let me go ask this other director, you know? And then the, and then that person... So there's like this... It took them 30 minutes to figure out whether or not this rock was a real rock or a, a fake rock. And I thought that was that's a good example of what Hollywood is like. <laughs> this is a good example of what that what it's like to be immersed in that world where nobody even knows what to believe. I think a lot of people lose all sense of control and logic in that environment. But all right. Anyway, so. We were, uh, because there were a bunch of people and we were actually on location at this real house filming this thing, then they had a shuttle that would take everybody back to, um, you know, like their parking areas, right? So it's, I mean, it's, it's been a long, long day for everybody. And I noticed that there was this guy who had like white hair and a white beard and a ball cap. And he was, he was the director of photography. He was the director of photography. This is the guy who operates the camera. This is the guy who shoots the movie. Very, very important. I mean, he and the director are in control of a lot of what happens on a movie set. And so anyway, I, I ended up getting on the shuttle and there was probably, it was like a 15 minute or 20 minute ride back to the parking area. And so I just so happened to sit down next to him, which I think is fantastic because you know, I started studying filmmaking when I was a kid and, you know, I, I learned how to develop motion picture footage and all that. And I said, Hey, it's great to be able to, to meet you. Uh, how did you get into, you know, the, the business, so to speak, right? Super nice guy. And he tells me, he says, well, you know, I, I was living in Texas and, uh, he said this, you know, this guy I knew that came up with this idea for this horror movie called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he asked me if I would film it. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I end up sitting next to Daniel Pearl, who is the guy who shot the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for Toby Hooper. All right. I, I, to this day, I can't believe this. So I, it's one of those things where like, if you're into this kind of stuff, you should have been a fly on the wall because I had 15 minutes to just pick this guy's brain about what that was like. And I won't get into it right now. Maybe Halloween time, I'll get back into it. But I'm telling you, like, <laughs> he went on. Okay. Daniel Pearl, he, he filmed others. He filmed one of the, uh, Friday the 13th movies. Um, he filmed, uh, let's see. Oh yeah. He filmed like, well, some of you will or will not be impressed by this. Uh, he filmed the video for, I do anything for love, but I won't do that. Uh, <laughs> one of the aliens, uh, like alien versus predator movies. So I got to sit here and like, just talk to this guy and have an intelligent conversation with this guy. And, I was thinking about the synchronicity that I experienced around that. And then I said to Lauren, I said, you know, it's kind of been like that my whole life. And I've once in a while, I ask everybody to leave positive reviews for this podcast if you like it. But sometimes I read a negative review and they say, like, all this guy does is talk about himself. Well, I mean. I guess that's kind of true because all I have is myself to give context to the things that I'm interested in. I guess what they mean by that is I'm not interviewing people constantly, but people who are interviewed constantly are interviewed constantly. You can go any all over the place and find interviews. 
I'm trying to like process some of my own experiences and, and share them with you and just tell you what I know for a fact, because that's the only way you do know something for a fact. You experienced it. But it's so weird. It's like when I was a, a teenager, I, uh, I, it was 18. I created an Asheville historic tour in North Carolina and, uh, I was standing outside of the, the Renaissance, which was the hotel we ran it out of. And I look over and here is Everett McGill, the guy who played the werewolf in the old silver bullet movie, you know, like the Stephen King silver bullet movie that had Corey Haim in it. I mean, like. He and then that's now talk about a scary looking man to see in person. He's a tall drink of water. And I'm like, I can't. And he was in town filming a movie. Uh, and I started going down the list of like run ins I've had with horror movie people. And I guess it's not that weird because of the, the work that I do. I mean, like I've been at on TV sets. Like I met Whitley Streber on a, on a TV set. And, uh, he, he always seemed very kind of like, he's real nice, but very uncomfortable, kind of like talking about some of his experiences. I met Chris Lutz, who was, um, one of the kids who was in the Amityville horror story, like the real story. You know, it's like his dad, George Lutz. Actually, that was his stepdad. His stepdad, George Lutz and, and, and his mother, Kathy Lutz, they bought the house. And Chris Lutz lived there with them while that whole Amityville thing went on. I met him at a conference. I got to meet Clive Barker at an event and he signed some stuff for me. Now he made some creepy stuff. I was, I was doing, um, paranormal paparazzi. And, uh, one day they go, Hey, this guy, he's a friend of ours. He wants to stop in and say hi. And, um, it is Carl Gottlieb who wrote Jaws. You know, he and Peter Benchley wrote the screenplay for Jaws. And, and of course, we're asking him, like, well, who wrote that line? We're going to need a bigger boat. And he laughed and he goes, we didn't write. He says, Peter didn't write it and I didn't write it. He says, I think that, um, was it Roy uh, Schneider? I guess his name is. He says, I think he just came up with that off the cuff. Roy Schneider. Anyway, um. And then, you know, I got to meet Dan Aykroyd on, on a movie set and, um, Aiden Quinn. Um, you know, he's, he was in a great movie called Haunted. I got to work with him. When I was a kid, I went into an airport. I was like 12 years old. I was in Maine and I walked in and there was Dean Stockwell from Quantum Leap. He was in the bathroom standing next to me at the urinal and, uh, if you ever meet me in private, I'll tell you an even funnier version of that story. But, uh, you know, he was, I think, in the Dunwich Horror or something. And then, you know, I, I just I could go on and on. I've had these interesting run ins with with horror movie people. And I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff. But anyway, I think that's just kind of. Again, it, you can look at it from my point of view and say, uh, well, that's amazing. But uh on the other hand, like, well, duh, you know, you, you run around in these showbiz circles. You're going to meet some of these people. I met Eileen Dietz from the exorcist. Um, but that Ashley green moment, when that, when that card came out of that box, like that does not, what I just said does not apply to that. You see how profound that is, how amazing that is. 
There are things that happen. There are real things that happen that give you a glimpse into reality and what's 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 going on behind the scenes. When we come back from this break, I have to read this message to you that I received. And this is from somebody that I know very, very well. And so I'm vouching for this and I know it's true. And he's an older man. And he so he sat down and instead of typing it, he took out a pen and he wrote this story for you about something that changed his life. And I think when you hear this, some of you might be able to relate to this kind of thing. I'm not really sure, but it, it honestly, it opened his eyes. I'm Joshua P. Warren. You're listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I'll be right back. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to the final segment of this edition of Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I am your host, Joshua P. Warren, and this story was told to me face to face, eye to eye, by a man that I know very well in North Carolina. And I asked him to write it down so that I could share it with you. And it's so personal that he doesn't want to give his name. But like I say, I vouch for this man's story because I know him that well. He wrote, and I'm reading his actual handwriting here. A few years back, I was brought to my senses while outside walking uh, down my driveway, I, I was suddenly caught off guard. My neighbor, also an old man like me, was constantly complaining and looking for a handout. And he said he was unable to do anything. All, but yet almost every day he would walk nearly a mile to the store to buy a pack of cigarettes and then back home. And some days he would do this three times a day. And this kept running through my mind. Well, things weren't going too well for me either. I was constantly working, trying to make ends meet. I make odds and ends for money, but things were slow and I could barely pay the bills. And my head was boiling with all of the stress of my own problems. And suddenly, I heard an audible, clear, loud voice. And it said, Do not judge people. A few seconds later, it said, I have plans for you. No one was there except me, and I was so scared that I dropped the water hose. I was weak and trembling all over, and I immediately went inside the basement and shut the door, and then I started sobbing and crying like a baby. Who was this voice? Was it the Lord or the devil? I reasoned in my mind that it must be the Lord because the devil wouldn't say that. A few minutes later, my wife drove up and remembering the water hose, I went to get it out of the driveway and I was still bawling my eyes out. And my wife was scared to death and jumped out of the car screaming, what's the matter? What's the matter? She was terrified and white as a ghost. And I asked her to come to the basement. And then I shut the door and I told her what had happened. Page two. Tears were in her eyes as she comforted me. That was a really wonderful thing, she said, and she believed everything that I told her. She is a wonderful woman and the only one I ever told about this until recently. Since then, I spent nearly two weeks in the hospital from a car wreck. Last year, I had a heart attack and spent another two weeks in the hospital. I've been cut from my throat to my navel, but today I'm feeling fine. This has definitely made a believer out of me. I no longer judge anyone. If I have any bad thoughts about someone, I just keep my mouth shut. Many people have had these experiences, and I am thankful to be one of them. Signed, The Witness. 
And he also includes Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Judge not, that ye be not judged. So, uh, does that ring for any of you? He told me he had never heard an audible voice like that in his life regarding anything. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And uh, I, I guarantee you there there's somebody out there who needs to hear that right now. Next email. This came from a man named Michael. I have all his email uh, address and uh, name, but I'll just give his name Michael because he talks about some stuff that's a little bit personal. But he says the bad buster, the bad buster is amazing. What he's talking about is if you go to my curiosity shop at joshuapwarren.com, there's a device that is occasionally in stock called the psionic dematerializer known as the bad buster. And he says, well, sir, that psionic dematerializer is something else. I get results every single time, no matter what bad I think I want to get rid of it somehow always works i have learned to you i've learned from you that i need to be open to the universe to receive what transpires may not and usually is not what i necessarily want but what the universe gives me and it turns out it's always exactly what i need it to be whether it's money or spontaneous feelings of joy and love and i have felt joy at least once a day for about a year now and that is very new and unexpected for me i have had relationships completely transformed through that powerful magical thing he says, I've broken two of them because I kid you not, the energy produced from the bad buster is so intense. I knocked it over without even touching it one time. It says, this last time I was going to buy another, but decided to glue it together instead to see what happens. And I'll tell you what happened. A $70,000 plus IRS debt is now all but gone. Did you hear that? Let me repeat that. He said, a $70,000 plus IRS debt is now all but gone, and I am a happy camper. Another interesting thing, my partner and I are devoted to your podcast, and uh, we are anticipating your your show and George Norrie's Gaia show every Wednesday and Friday. He says, wow. Anyway, he goes on to say, my life during the past five years has become magical and it is due in very large part because I take to heart and practice the things you suggest on your show. How do you say thank you to that? Well, thank you, Joshua. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. I am so very grateful to have you in my life. And he says, uh, I use the force every day because I have nerve damage in my hands and fine motor skills. And he says, uh, every day I ask for, uh, I, I, uh, let's see, uh, gratitude and love. And I ask the universe to help me use my hands, say hello to Lauren for me and have a wonder filled day. Isn't that nice? You see why I make this stuff? Because I get messages like that from people who say, that congratulations michael and just keep it up you keep it up my friend and spread the word and tell everybody okay here's a message from a woman named diane and she wants to talk about 
one of my previous podcasts where I, let's see, I did one called What Do the Aliens Really Want? And she says, hi, Joshua, I'm a new listener to your podcast, and I just finished the What Do the Aliens Really Want episode. I probably fall into the open-minded skeptic category of believers, though more open-minded than skeptic. I trust my intuition and clairsentience when considering and researching paranormal phenomena and just big life questions in general, and I want to believe, but my analytical uh, analytical mind keeps me grounded. She says, my reason for writing to you today is to thank you, to thank you for comparing the treatment of animals by humans to how aliens may be treating humans for their own benefit and specifically for including the consumption of animals in that list. The treatment of animals is one of humanity's deepest flaws and one that makes me ashamed to be a human along with an inexhaustive list of others. But I believe we have finally turned a bright corner in that awareness and bringing this point of view to your listeners has also planted a seed in their consciousness that we can only hope will one day take root. Peace, Diane. Well, thank you, Diane. I'm glad that you see the value in that. And look, I can't help but agree that there is something gross and barbaric about eating animals. But I got to confess with you, I've said this before. If I die and God is a chicken, I'm in big trouble because I ate a lot of chicken. Um, and, and something else that has also crossed my mind is that, uh, I used to do tests all the time on plants where I would hook them up to different types of sensors and I would cut them or uh, burn them and they would respond uh, with these huge electrical signals. So I'm not sure that plants don't feel things just like animals do. I kind of believe the whole world is a conscious place. So what are we supposed to eat? <laughs> I don't know. But I definitely think that what you're what you're saying here is that uh, we can do a better job of being more responsible and kind and sympathetic and empathetic. And I hope everybody takes that to heart. Thank you, Diane. And now let's see if we can give everybody some good fortune over the next week. huh? Here it is. The good fortune tone. That's it for this edition of the show. Follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren. Plus, visit JoshuaPWarren.com to sign up for my free e-newsletter to receive a free instant gift and check out the cool stuff in the Curiosity Shop all at JoshuaPWarren.com. I have a fun one lined up for you next time, I promise. So please tell all your friends to subscribe to this show and to always remember the golden rule. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon. You've been listening to Strange Things on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com.